0: Hello and welcome to the Menu, Monocle's program on great food, drink, and hospitality. I am Marcus Hippi. This week we head to the annual Pitti Taste Food Fair in Florence for a taster of new quality products from Italy.
1: Last year, the Bel Paese shipped a record 60 billion euros worth of goods abroad. At Pitti Taste, the country's premier food fair in Florence, 7,000 buyers from food halls and gourmet retailers from New York to Seoul, got the chance to
0: sample the latest offerings. Then, as it's the Super Bowl weekend, we ask what that means for the American food culture.
2: So on Sunday, as the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles face off, the fans stuff their faces.
0: We'll also hear from one of the most promising young chefs from the UK, Alex Webb. All that and much more ahead in the next half an hour, here on The Menu. First this week we head to Italy to discover what food shoppers can expect to find from shop shelves later this year as we visit the annual Pitti Taste food fair in Florence. The popularity of Italian food is breaking records as the country's agricultural exports are at top levels, with a hungry public around the world continuing to crave the nation's quality products. Over 500 Italian companies were on hand at Pitti Taste this year to tempt palates. We sent Monaco's Milan correspondent Ivan Cavaglio to the fair to hear from some of the country's best food brands.
1: Foreigners' love for Italian food knows no bounds. Last year, the Bel Paese shipped a record 60 billion euros worth of goods abroad to satisfy the appetites of those eager to try tasty treats, such as Parma ham and Sicilian pistachios. At Pitti Taste, the country's premier food fair in Florence, 7,000 buyers from food halls and gourmet retailers from New York to Seoul got the chance to sample the latest offerings. Producers, many family-owned, came from across Italy to exhibit. One local attendee with a loyal following was La Via Tè. Started in Florence in 1961 by the Carai family, the company specializes in teas and infusions. I met with Marlena Carai, manager at La Via del Te. When
3: the, when the people think uh, Italy, thinking coffee, espresso loving, uh, but uh, we are uh, an enterprise, uh, a family company, business of tea. In the Taste Exhibition, uh, I would like to to show you our new line. It's a line of herbal tea, our best uh, our blend of chamomile and a piece of fruit, like strawberry and apple, and it's called ninna Nanna lullaby. Another blend of herbal tea of uh, colonial line is uh, fennel and uh, liparis. Please.
1: Okay, Madeline, this is, this is uh, very savory. Yeah. On the yeah. nose.
3: It's very savory, it's very sweet also, and it's perfect for uh, the digestive. So a after, drink uh, for after after uh,
1: A big pasta uh, meal. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
1: Now, the ingredients here are, are, are fennel and what else?
3: Fennel and uh, licorice.
1: Okay. And what do you have here? A ginger lemon?
3: Yeah, ginger lemon. This is very, very fresh. Please.
1: Oh, wow. See? Very summery. Yeah,
3: summery, fresh. Uh, with citrus. We have uh, ginger and the uh, zest, uh, orange zest, uh, and uh, lemongrass.
1: For caffeine fans, traditional coffee roasters were on hand. I caught up with Café Morettino, a family business in Palermo, making quality espresso blends for locals and demanding baristas abroad. Owner Andrea Morettino of Café Moretino.
4: Those are our Moretino organic beans from Peru, Cianciamayo, Brazil, Santos, and Mexico, Berilio. We are here in taste, introducing this pure organic coffee range in espresso blend or with single origin, uh, with Chemex, with filter coffee that are now more appreciated in Italy.
1: Besides sourcing beans from major coffee-producing nations, Morettino was making headlines with its own Arabica coffee grown in Sicily. So Andrea, after trying the coffee you have made from the Mexican and Brazilian beans, I see here you have a made in Sicily coffee. Explain.
4: Yes, over thirty years ago we started a coffee growing plantation project in Sicily. So thanks to the climate change, now we are witnessing how the Arabica plants give us a fifty kilos harvest and uh, gave us a really sweet and refined cup. So this year we are hoping that this coffee uh, will give us again a really refined cup with jasmine and uh, um, almonds aroma with a note uh, of um, biscuits from Sicily and uh, taste of our terroir.
1: Many food producers at Taste highlighted efforts to work the land sustainably. One was rice producer Reserva San Massimo in Lombardia. Simone Vizzeri of Reserva San Massimo.
5: Reserva San Massimo is a private natural reserve in Lombardia, uh, in Groppello Cairoli, so we are in Pavia, and we produce the authentic uh, Carnoli rice. Um, I don't know if uh, the people know that uh, the main particularity that uh, the rice needs to grow is water. So we have the particularity to have our own water because uh, in our 600 hectares we got more than 50 uh, natural water uh, places where the, the water comes from, from the underground. Um, we have uh, half of the um, space we have is uh, cultivated uh, in rice. All the other space is cultivated. Uh, it's not cultivated, so it is uh, a place where the animals can uh, live free. Um, we produce mainly carnaroli rice. Uh, carnaroli is the king of risotto. It's the perfect rice for risotto uh, because it has the characteristic to uh, last a lot uh, when you cook it, so it remains uh, solid, it remains uh, with a good uh, taste and a good uh, texture.
1: Heading north up Italy's boot, I ventured to the stand of South Tyrol producer Alpe Pragas, a maker of fine jams and fruit preserves from locally picked fruit. Stefan Gruber, owner of Alpe Pragas.
6: So we are producing uh, fruit preserves in the middle of the Dolomites and uh, quite about uh, 1,200 meters above sea level. Okay, So we have our own cultivation from our own Small fruits, so strawberries, it's, uh, raspberries, it's red and black currants, and we have also our partners. So, for example, it's the apricot from which what is based about 100, 150 kilometers from us, from our plant. And uh, this is, for example, an apricot, so it's it's very it's it's very fresh, okay. It's a little bit of acid. It has a very nice color and a nice sweet, okay and that's why also Balvenosa it's about based at 1000 meters above sea level okay so the maturation is quite slowly in this moment okay so maybe you can reach about 30 35 degrees okay but you can, you can go down maybe at 10 12 8 degrees during the night okay so the maturation is much slower and that gives you more flavor in this moment for the final product Okay? that helps a lot for the quality in this moment for the final product.
1: Ingredients rich in flavor and sourced close to home were a common sight at Petit Taste. From painstakingly crafted traditional balsamic vinegars from Borgo de Balsamico in Reggio Emilia to spaghetti maker Pasta Mancini with its rare varieties of wheat harvested next to its pasta factory, Italian brands demonstrated yet again their ability to craft delicious products to tantalize people's taste buds. For Monocle, in Florence, I'm Ivan Carvalho.
0: It is Super Bowl weekend and across the U.S. American football fans are gearing up for the nation's biggest sporting event of the year. More than 200 million people watched last year's game, approximately two-thirds of the U.S. population. And all those fans come with big appetites. So what are they eating? Monocle's Laura Kramer reports.
2: The Super Bowl is a mix of two of America's favorite pastimes, football and eating. While it's not an official holiday, it is the second biggest food holiday in the United States after Thanksgiving. So on Sunday, as the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles face off, the fans stuff their faces. But while Kansas City is known for its barbecue and Philadelphia for its cheesesteak, when it comes to the Super Bowl, people prefer finger foods. Leave the elegant hors d'oeuvres for another day. On game day, it's all about salty, fatty goodness that pairs well with beer. Things like nachos, pigs in a blanket, and spinach artichoke dip. And this year, a surprising entry has emerged supreme in the Super Bowl Party Food Championship. According to a new analysis of Google search data, meatballs rank as the number one food fans are searching for online. Guacamole is in second place, followed by chips and salsa in the third spot. Shockingly, pizza isn't even on the list. But that's probably because it's usually delivered and not made at home. In fact, more than 12.5 million pizzas are ordered for the big day. So where are the famous buffalo chicken wings, you ask? Well, according to the National Chicken Council's annual chicken wing report, yes, that is a thing, Americans will eat almost 1.5 billion chicken wings during the Super Bowl weekend. And inevitably, all that sodium makes people thirsty. And to no one's surprise, beer is the go-to drink. So aside from the food and beer, what can people look forward to on Super Bowl Sunday? The answer is obvious. Rihanna's halftime show. Riri is taking the stage to make her big musical comeback. I've been told there's also a football game that's apparently happening before and after her performance. the The main event will see the Chiefs and Eagles duke it out for the Vince Lombardi trophy in Glensdale, Arizona. Now, while the Super Bowl is unapologetically American and one of the biggest and most watched events in the United States, is it becoming a global event? In recent years, the National Football League has been working to expand their audience internationally by holding regular season games in countries like the UK, Germany and Mexico. Thanks to those efforts by the NFL, the Super Bowl now has a substantial overseas base. And according to research, younger generations are more likely to view it as a global event. And this international expansion means that the local cuisines in these countries will no doubt influence the Super Bowl foods of the future and what makes a game day staple.
0: Thanks to Monaco's Laura Kramer for that report. To the UK next, Alex Webb is a young British chef with a long experience from the industry, having started work in restaurants at the age of 14. A few months ago, he opened his first permanent restaurant in central London at the Intercontinental Park Lane. I met Alex at the venue and discussed the new wave of British cooking, his idea of the importance of dining being fun, and how well the public still remembers him for winning MasterChef The Professionals in 20. 2020. Let's have a listen.
7: So I started off uh, at 14 in my local pot wash, or local restaurant as a pot wash, uh, and just loved cooking and wanted to do cooking, and I thought, well, let's start off at the bottom and learn from there. Learn from there. And my brother actually was the pot wash and he left. So there was a position going. Um, so I started doing desserts and things like that and loved it and went to, and then my mum's my Australian, so I moved to Australia, cooked in Australia for a year and just kind of kept growing and growing. Came back to London and then I went to college at Westminster Kingsway uh, as an apprentice at the Savoy Hotel uh, in London uh, and kind of absolutely, I mean, it started off in the staff kitchen and I thought, what have I got myself into cooking for like 4,000 people a day and a few crying nights, I was like, I can't, I'm not doing this. And then just kind of went to Michelin star restaurants and just completely loved it It it's long hours and then i thought to myself well how can i gain all the knowledge that i that i've learned and put it into my own restaurant um so obviously masterchef came along just before just kind of in the middle of covid great timing to to practice because all the restaurants were shut and then since masterchef has just been a kind of a whirlwind to be honest um private dinners and cooking for famous people and yeah
0: and now you have a permanent restaurant. Tell me about your restaurant, the con- concept, and the venue. Uh,
7: yeah, so we're called uh, Alex Webb on Park Lane. Uh, we've been open since October. Um, we are like a tasting menu only restaurant. So we do. Um, we've just got a kind of a new menu. We've got a two course or three course, which kind of with the canapés, and then we have a seven course like chef tasting menu. So it's like my kind of my favourite dishes that I like, and the the idea of it is fun of dry ice and there's party poppers and there's candy floss and ice cream. And um, I want it to be fun, but I don't want it to be too stuffy. Um, but also it needs to be like, it needs to be good food. It needs to live up to it. It can't just be fun.
0: Of course, tell me about, tell me about your food cooking style and what do you think are some of the dishes that deserve most attention?
7: Um, I think, for, I mean, for me, my style is like a French classical in a way, um, but really kind of in a modern way of, of plating up, love using british produce as much as i can to kind of push that forward rich sauces like for example cooking with champagne sauce and doing it with turbot and caviar and that kind of quite rich style but then pairing it with lovely wines and that's the kind of uh, the style i guess what
0: happened before, if we just recap a little bit, is that yeah. you had a pop up over here and then actually you, you got a permanent venue over here as well. How did, how did that happen?
7: Uh, yeah, so the pop up was uh, just for three months. Uh, it was more of a kind of a sharing style. It was outside, it was the summer, it was hot. Um, we had donuts on the menu and we had just kind of all sharing. Um, and I got on well with everybody here. Um, hopefully they're like me as well. And, uh, and then just got the, the space was empty and I kind of I didn't want to see it empty. And we then said we'll do another three-month pop-up. And then we went from that to now uh, full-time, um, which is very exciting.
0: I think it's great considering that what we're talking about over here is kind of a story of how London is gradually waking up. You said that where we are now in this rather large space, it, it was not used. It had only been used, what, before the pandemic last?
7: Uh, yes, yeah, so it was It was before the pandemic. Uh, it was a Mexican restaurant. Um, and then it was closed down as an empty space. So, yeah, so we kind of, the idea is we've tried to do something is a great space great location um, and also I think since the pandemic like look the idea of your staff you want to make sure that they're kind of happy and your chefs so we're open four days a week uh, we open from Wednesday to Saturdays Friday and Saturday is lunch and dinner and Wednesday and Thursday is dinner only and we do private events on like Tuesdays um, as well which is nice um, so yeah so it's a great it's a great space um, for parties as well
0: it's interesting that quite often the chefs I speak to tend to be a little bit older. You are 27 and clearly you are doing very well having your permanent restaurant in, in central London. What do you think you got right?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I was pretty uh, happy when I got a full-time restaurant. It's my dream since I was younger to have my own restaurant. Determination, I really wanted it. It's, it's hard, it's difficult to get your own restaurant, it's not easy. Um, but if you want anything in life, you have to push and you have to be strong. And I think, like I said, I think MasterChef does, does p- propel you to the next level.
0: Yeah, let's talk about MasterChef now. Obviously, you want MasterChef 2020 professionals. What kind of a difference does it make?
7: Uh, yeah, I mean, it puts you, like I said, it puts you on that next level, uh, on the kind of the, on the stepping stone just above, just to try and really like push your career. I was working in restaurants before, on star restaurants. The chefs that are on, on there are really high level, made great friends from the show. Uh, and yeah, people people recognise you, which is nice in the streets, um, even in COVID times when people had masks on, you know, they just sort of recognise you. Um, so that was nice. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing experience. Still do a few private dinners, um, but mainly I'm um, all, all, all the time pretty much at the at the restaurant.
0: Let's talk more about your cooking style. You already mentioned a little bit about what your food is like, but can you tell me more about? Where you draw the inspiration from and how you get new ideas and what you've been excited by recently
7: yeah i mean i think uh, i love getting my ideas from i mean obviously like i said i love using british produce and that kind of that that style for example i go on i find recipe books i go on tv shows and i see a dish that i like and i go i like that but i don't quite like how that's done and i just kind of take ideas from like different aspects and I kind of put it into a dish myself. Can you give me examples of how this process has worked <laughs> recently? Well I think that I mean, one of the most recent ones I saw was actually in Greece uh, and there was an amazing dish that we that we ate and I, they didn't tell me how they made it but I just took the idea that I knew how it was and I took that idea then I came back home and I changed it for British produce I went to the market. What was this dish? It was, like a, cu- it was a cured fish Uh, So it was like a cured mackerel fillet and we cured the bottom and we torched the top. Um, So it was like crispy on the top but like pickled on the bottom and we used British mackerel, British ingredients. Um, So just taking some some idea from one thing, seeing it, seeing like like I've learnt from other restaurants, one idea that I've done before. So that's the idea i kind of tried like take little snippets of everything uh, and then put it into one
0: can you give me more examples i like hearing this so okay, can you okay. can you give me more examples of what you
7: have seen somewhere and kind of brought it with you uh i mean some, some things as well like for more like when i was younger so the canop- one of the canapes on last year's menu was a cheesy chester um so when i was younger the first thing i ever made was a little cheesy chester biscuit so my mum and dad used to dinner parties, so I was a bit too young to cook, but I would make these cheesy Chester biscuits thinking that they were the best thing ever. So yeah, so, I, so when I opened the restaurant up, I wanted to show that this is what I used to make when I was younger. Um, so I made these little biscuits uh, for the canapes and I put some truffle on there and I put some parmesan to make it a bit more, a bit more fine dining.
0: Well, Alex, it's, it's really good that we don't need to talk about COVID too much nowadays. Maybe this is the last question I will ever ask hopefully, but I'm wondering, Considering that, that you talk about the importance of local ingredients and, and great suppliers, how, how was all that affected by the pandemic? And do you think things are working now as well as they did before the pandemic?
7: Yeah, I mean, obviously everything shut down, everything closed down. So it, was a, it took a while for when everything shut down, all the supply chains get like broken and, and shattered a bit. Um, so it's taken a while for things to actually get back. But I would say like, for example, some of them are kind of taken suit as well and they're not open for say on Monday, Tuesday, which they used to be before. So we have to kind of work around it as well, work around the ordering. Sometimes they do less, they come into London less. Um, so it's obviously we're in central London, some of the supplies are not are not there. So yeah, so I think it affected it, but then also sometimes the product can get better because there's, there's like, there's more time to, to create something. So yeah, so I don't think, I think it didn't affect it like a huge amount. Uh, I think there's a lot more new supplies that during lockdown and COVID that they were, they didn't know what to do with themselves. So there's now a lot more new supplies that we can, we can use from it
0: what kind of new suppliers have you come across recently uh what are we talking about
7: yes actually i actually found a really cool one it was a guy from the forest and he i think he was working in the offices in london before and now he's making like these uh syrups and gins and everything and we got some to try them they were like pink fir trees and there were just loads of different pines and like really kind of rustic forest Uh, and they were like pine cone syrups and you can mix them with gins and and he came in and we tried it and it was really lovely and so things like that where you wouldn't have probably got it before um, or it would have been quite difficult to find. I mean I have a really great supplier which, which is, is called uh, Badger's Garden. So they're Mr and Mrs Badger uh, and they do all their flowers and herbs for the restaurant. So when I first met them I said I really want to use them as my supplier. That was my one supplier that I'm definitely going to use. Um, so they come in every Tuesday, they handpick everything, nothing's cut, all handpicked. I don't ask for anything, they just say this is available, this is fresh. This is the best of it at the moment. I'm at, at the moment with the weather. It's very green and, uh, and green things, but when the summer comes in, we'll have nice flowers. Um, so just examples like that. The supplies, uh, I'd rather use a small supply and I can give them a text and I can say, oh, I'm gonna change the menu. Can you, can you do that? And they came in yesterday and they gave me some fresh moss for my new canapes and they were picking it at their garden
0: let's use that as an example how do you use that moss in canapes
7: so we've actually got um, it's a new canopy called uh, sea land and tree um, so we have like a bed of uh, pebbles uh, we have a little bit of driftwood and we have some um, fresh moss so all the canapes are located on on the like the variations of it uh, and it comes out on there so we've got uh, we've got oyster from the sea uh, with the cider butter sauce We have a cheesy Chester puff, which I was talking about, uh, with a black bomber cheddar and truffle. And then from the tree, we have a little mini uh, black garlic twill with a red pepper gel. Um, So yeah, they're the new canapés. So hopefully, uh, yeah, it's like little things like that.
0: What else do you have in the new menu you want to mention?
7: Uh, New menu, so we've still got the seven course, but on my three course menu, I think one of my new favorite dishes is the pork dish. Um, So we have a late district farmer's pork chop. Uh, and it comes with a salt-baked carrot, which we salt bake for about two hours, Uh, tarragon vinegar gel, and we do a pearl barley risotto. It comes smoked on a separate container. Um, It's got a crispy pork skin on there. It's like a real sticky pork sauce. I mean, it's a really lovely dish, especially at the moment with the weather, and it's quite a nice, hearty, warmy dish. That's my favorite main course. Uh, And dessert, I think we have a banana souffle. Um, Everyone loves a souffle. They're always gonna have a souffle on the menu, and we've got banana with caramelized pecans, crispy banana and we have a caramel and white chocolate sauce um, which is absolutely delicious few calories in there but it's still good amazing i'm wondering
0: you've been working in the industry and you've seen the pandemic and you've seen now what happens after the pandemic and where we are in the uk what do you expect from the future when it comes to the future of british food what does it look like and what do you expect
7: um good question i mean i think it's like it's Developing all the time, uh, all chefs are looking for new ideas. Like myself, we all have different ways of finding ideas and finding new dishes and things. Um, like for me, going to the food market and I find new dishes or new like ingredients which I can use. Um, I think it's always it's going to get better and better and better. I think the London food scene at the moment is incredible. When you have so much diverse and so many different restaurants, so I, I think it's going to get better. And the chefs are getting better. Um, almost like a younger like I'm 27 but there's always like a younger generation of chefs coming through at the moment which are of a really high standard.
0: How can things improve? You say things are getting better so where is there space for improvement at the moment? Where do you see it?
7: Um, I think I, mean, I think like, I've touched base on it a little bit I said about the kind of the staffing and improvement of, of how the of how the chefs are treated or, or how, how many make sure they have a break or make sure. Uh, they have they can one can come in early one can come in late that kind of thing just to make sure that they're happy because if they're tired and run down then the food is run down um, and the same with the front of house uh, I think it's slowly getting there um, like since after the pandemic but also what is difficult I would say at the moment is like with Brexit and things like that when it was a, like kind of a double whammy almost you had Brexit and you had uh, the pandemic and a lot of the a lot of front of house industry moved out of the UK um, which didn't help to be honest. Um, so I think it's just slowly coming back as well with the staff in, but still there is like, a lot of staff missing in, in the industry.
0: You talk about the well-being of staff. Do you want to tell me what your guiding principles are as a boss? What kind of a boss are you?
7: Uh, I'm a nice one, hopefully, a nice boss. Yeah, I mean, I, for, for, for me, I like to make sure that uh, we always have two days off a week. Um, so obviously we're only open four days. So make sure we have a Sunday and a Monday off. Uh, on the Tuesday, we do like prep work. Yeah, I'm a nice friendly boss. I, I think I say my motto is as long as everything is done, I don't mind. Um, so most of the time everything is done. Obviously when we have a new menu, there's a little bit of uh, hiccups along the way. Um, but yeah, it takes a while to get the new menu and the chefs get used to it. Um, but yeah, no, I'd like to make sure everyone has fun, especially the front of house. We do a, do a briefing every day. We make sure we have fun and enjoy it. Um, so there's a smile on the face, hopefully then the customers can see that.
0: Alex Webb there, he runs his restaurant at the Intercontinental Park Lane here in London. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Remember that we are back with a new episode again on Friday at twenty hundred London time, which is at midday in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, do check out our menu spin-off show Food Neighbourhoods for Great Recipes. And obviously you'll find many more reports on great hospitality from the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. I am Marcus Hippi. Our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Once again, we finish this programme with a dinner soundtrack recommendation. Here are Calvin Harris and Rihanna with This Is What." you came for. Thanks for listening and goodbye.